15. We're going to start in verse 36. And just to kind of set the stage for you, if you weren't here uh, last week or the weeks leading up to today, we have just kind of, uh, what we have is Paul and Barnabas uh, who have returned home. um, And they are um, excited from the Council of Jerusalem. They have this wonderful news uh, that the Gentile believers don't have any extra requirements, in this particular case, circumcision, in order to be saved. And so this is really important for the ministry of Paul, because if the decision had gone the other way, uh, probably evangelism to the Gentiles, at the very least, would have taken a major setback, if not, uh, would have kind of ended. But now, uh, the Apostle Paul, where we are today, can't wait to get going again. Uh, And so he's got a pretty simple plan, pretty reasonable plan, probably a plan like you and I would make. Uh, He's just going to retrace the steps of his first missionary journey from Antioch to the island of Cyprus. He's going to cross that island from the city of Salamis to Paphos. Then he's going to sail to Asia Minor to uh, Pamphylia. He's going to travel up to Galatia. He's going to visit Iconium, Lystra, Perga, and Italia. So Paul uh, has a good plan. It's a reasonable plan, uh, and he has a good ministry partner in Barnabas, who he's already had success with. So things are looking up. Uh, They expect to do what you kind of would normally do on something like this. You would follow up with people who are new. Uh, And so so Paul is wanting to make sure probably there's no false doctrine creeping into these new believers. That's that's an issue that can happen, Uh, particularly new believers who are coming to faith in a particular city that might have influences. They might synchronize some of what they already believe uh, politically or religiously into their Christianity. And in case you were wondering, this absolutely still happens today. It's happening to us right now. Uh, We have to be aware of it. And so Paul is... Uh, wanting to make sure that those things are in order. Um, He wants to teach more to them because they don't have the benefit of having the scriptures like we have. So he's going back to teach them uh, more about God's grace. And he's going to share the results of the Jerusalem Council, which they're going to be real interested to find out. Uh, And then he's going to build up leadership in each church. You see this as a pattern for the ministry of Paul. So everything is in place. And then... There is a big halt on that, right? Everything's in place, but instead of all of that, Paul finds himself making a very unexpected leap across what are called the Dardanelles Straits from Asia uh, to Europe in obedience to what is called the Macedonian Call. Uh, This is an enormously huge moment uh, for the life and the ministry of Paul, and it's an enormously huge moment in the life of the church. Uh, And so there's a scholar, Richard Longnecker, he said this, Authentic turning points in history are very few, but surely among them, that of the Macedonian call vision ranks high. Uh, They were momentous days when Columbus set sail from Spain or when Vasco da Gama discovered the sea route to the West Indies, but those were of little significance compared with this great event. Something happened that completely redirected Paul's ministry, keeping it in line with God's hidden agenda. So this is a big moment in your Bible. Historians might call it a hinge moment in not only the history of the church, but in history. Uh, So let's look at how that kind of decision comes about for Paul, because it's not the way that we think of. He didn't get a blackboard out or a whiteboard out and have a brainstorming session and say, you know what, I think I'll go to Macedonia. It's not how it happened at all. Uh, So let's start in Acts 15, verse 36. Uh, I'll just kind of read and talk and read and talk, and we'll work our way through the text today. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So again, 
really natural proposal, normal thing to think to do, right? Paul and Barnabas had worked well together. Uh, ever since Barnabas had kind of gotten Paul from Tarsus to help with the ministry in Antioch, uh, their teamwork was kind of a dream team. They were amazing together. Uh, Barnabas had these relational gifts, and then Paul had this mastery of the law, of the Jewish law, right? And he's got a brilliant intellect. Some scholars would say that we would know who the Apostle Paul was today, even if it wasn't for Christianity. That's how brilliant he was. And this created a really dynamic duo, Paul and Barnabas. And on top of that, you have to imagine, if you've ever been through something like this, uh, that the journey itself had bonded them together. Right? They had bonded together in a way that only happens when you do something like that, uh, when you do that kind of work together. Anybody ever been on a short-term mission trip and you come back with friends you didn't have when you left, right? That's just how it goes. They become brothers, and so they would have had no way of imagining what was about to happen in verse 37. Right? Neither one of them is thinking, you know what, let's have a sharp disagreement. Nobody thinks like that. They are bonded together, but now verse 37. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Now, we don't know exactly why John Mark originally left them in Pamphylia. Most likely it's a combination of things. Uh, life just got really hard. Uh, he was very young. Whatever the reason was, Paul considered it desertion. He said, John Mark isn't trustworthy anymore. He deserted us. But Barnabas, who we find out in the book of Colossians, is John Mark's cousin, is going to stick up for him, is going to defend him. He saw the situation differently. He saw a change in John Mark now, and he wanted to give him another shot. He wanted to give him another chance. And so Barnabas, you kind of get the, based on the language here, Barnabas resents Paul's rejection of this young man. Uh, and so the result is that in verse 29, the word that gets translated a sharp disagreement, uh, that word actually denotes violent action or emotion. Violent action or emotion. So this is not a mild gentleman's discussion. I don't know if you've ever had this. I've only ever seen this and experienced this as uh, guys. Uh, but we can, you know, we like to bump bellies and get real mad at each other, they like to say, right? When you get into a really heated argument, if you've ever seen it, what, what immediately came to mind because of the season we're in right now in the year is a baseball manager getting so mad at an umpire which is probably one of the most entertaining things that I get to see sometimes uh, on TV. But think of, if you've ever seen that, uh, I can remember a few managers who were amazing at this. They would flip their hat around backwards just to get closer to the face of the umpire, right? Absolutely screaming at each other. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this kind of argument with a friend. I have with a ministry friend in a sanctuary, and we were screaming at each other from across the sanctuary, and it ended with us walking up to each other and screaming in each other's faces. Now, we didn't part ways, like here, uh, but we parted ways for the rest of that day. And we had to come back together and go, man, I was out of line. I was out of line. We, we, can't, we can't do that anymore. And so that's the kind of disagreement that's happening here. And so we basically have the unthinkable happen. They had no idea this was going to happen. Uh, and Paul and Barnabas, they... Nicely way to say it is they agree to disagree and they separate their 
uh, ways of ministry, and they go off and do their own things. And so it says in verse 39b into 41, Barnabas took Mark with him, that's John Mark, and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, so maybe we get an idea there that maybe the church kind of saw that Paul was right in, in his choice because he was commended, although I, I don't think we need to be dogmatic about who was right in that argument. But this is the last time that Luke will mention Barnabas, uh, one of the greatest figures in the early church. Both Paul and Barnabas are losing in this result, right? In this moment, they're both losing a dear friend and ministry partner. And yet the mission of God is going to continue. And so as Barnabas sails to Cyprus, Paul begins traveling around the northeast end of the Mediterranean uh, by the Gulf of Issus and on through what's called the Syrian Gates, uh, which is a narrow road between kind of rocks and the ocean. And then he goes inland past Tarsus over Mount Taurus, and he finally gets to the churches, the, the believers that exist in Galatia, where he and Barnabas had ministered on their first journey and where he will now discover a young convert who is going to uh, have, have big things to do in the New Testament churches. Um, so, verse 16, or chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted, to, wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, as Paul gets to Lystra, and if you're like, where are all these places? Get yourself a good study Bible, open the back of it, and for sure it's going to have Paul's first missionary journey in there. Or just go online, there's plenty of maps that you can find uh, that will show you all of these places. Um, so Paul gets to Lystra, he encounters... This young man named Timothy. Now, Timothy is an impressive young man, apparently. Uh, here's what we know about Timothy, that although his father is not a believer and is a Gentile, right? He's a Greek. Timothy has a godly upbringing under his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. So if you want to find out about that, you go look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 3, and you'll see that there. And that's his heritage in the Lord. And so Timothy had evidently come to Jesus under Paul's ministry the first time through. So this is the, Paul's target, right? Paul is going to minister to these young believers, and here's a guy who fits the bill. Uh, and so Paul is really happy now to have this guy to mentor, this young guy. He's probably a teenager, an older teenager, uh, and he's going to mentor him. And so their relationship becomes so close that Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4, is going to refer to Timothy as a son, uh, as a spiritual son or a son in the faith. And so if you're here last week, you might be like, wait a minute, hold on. You just passed over the circumcision thing and we just covered that. What in the world is going on here? Circumcision isn't necessary according to the Jerusalem Council. So what in the world is Paul doing to Timothy? Well, here's what we see, I think, a really interesting manifestation. We talked about this last week of sort of Christian freedom and Christian hospitality on display in the life of Timothy. Paul resists circumcision in the case of a man like Titus. And we see this in Galatians chapter 2, because Titus is fully a Gentile. He's pure Greek. And so he, he's not going to have the religious stuff that Timothy might have. Uh, and, and so Paul resists circumcision because the, the principle of liberty for the Gentiles is at stake in that case. But Timothy is both Jew 
and Greek. And if you remember last week, we talked about how there are little Jewish outposts everywhere they went. And because he is an uncircumcised Jew, everywhere they went, they would offend the Jews. And so there would be no advantage to the mission of Paul and Timothy or to the cause of grace-driven freedom. And so Timothy voluntarily goes through circumcision and removes this stumbling block from their ministry. So we see this really interesting dynamic here where it's like he's walking in freedom and his freedom is that he lays his own preferences down. And so being half Gentile and half Jew, Timothy has this major advantage where he can bridge into, into a couple different worlds, right? He speaks a couple languages, so to speak, uh, and probably did speak a couple languages. And so here is where we see the sovereign God use even the most kind of difficult circumstances like unresolved personal conflict, right, between Paul and Barnabas uh, to see the mission through. Verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So up to this point, things are going well, even though this is like after this break for Paul and things are going kind of as expected for what he originally had in mind before he and Barnabas kind of split ways. Uh, but the missionary trio here uh, is about to run into some like Holy Spirit closed doors. And you'll see why I say trio in just a minute uh, in verse six. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go through Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, so when Paul finishes his ministry in Galatia, he decides to go south and minister in Asia. And it's important to note here, that is not the continent of Asia, but it's a little province called Asia, which is where the city of Ephesus was located. Uh, But what we see is that he stopped from doing so. He, He can't do it. So then he tries to go north into Bithynia so he can minister uh, kind of in the, in the cities around the Black Sea. But again, he is stopped. And so what's the overall effect of this stoppage of Paul is that he begins to be funneled west towards what are called, again, the Dardanelles Straits and into Europe. Uh, and he's actually driven west by God closing doors, which is we should be thankful for because that's us that eventually gets to So what we see is that it's the the Holy Spirit stopping Paul's desire to go where Paul wants. But here's a question. How specifically does the Holy Spirit restrain him, right? Was it some voice in the night? Was it through kind of like uh, Paul either having or not having a sense of peace that he either did or didn't have before? Maybe that is certainly how the Holy Spirit will speak to us sometimes and, and direct us in our lives, Or possibly, and this is where I think we tend to struggle to see this as the Holy Spirit speaking to us, possibly it's through difficult circumstances like illness. And here's why I think there's a compelling case for this. As I was studying this week, I was kind of convinced that illness might likely be the cause of Paul's stoppage, and that's because of this. Uh, We see Luke, who we know is a physician, join them right after this. Right? We know this because in verse 10, if you look, the narrative changes from they to we. So why would a physician join a group? Well, if somebody is having an illness, that makes a lot of sense. Now, whatever the reason was, the missionary work is not easy work. 
But what we don't see is what too often occurs in, in my own life, in our own lives, which is we allow ourselves to believe a lie that if things are difficult, we must not be following God quite right. As if there's some formula that will allow us to follow Jesus and have things just be smooth and easy all the time. It's not what we see in the New Testament. It's not what we see in church history. And yet we struggle with this. So then what was it that kept Paul going despite, right, a broken relationship, sickness, disappointment, closed doors? I don't know if you've ever had in your mind, I'm going to do this great thing and then something happens and changes it. It's disappointing. What kept him going? Well, it was his simple faith that Jesus loves me and Jesus is in charge. That's a simple formula. Later, while he's in a Roman jail, right? Not a hospitable spot. Not a nice place to be. He writes this to the Philippian Christians. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Right? Don't worry. Jesus is in charge. To the Corinthians, he writes this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. He keeps trusting God, and, and, and he writes famously, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I I've, I've know how to become, I've, I've had a lot, and I know how to be low, and through Christ I can do all things. And, and so he keeps trusting in God. He just keeps making the choice to trust God. He refuses to indulge himself with the like, if onlys that so often get us, right? If only we hadn't taken John Mark in the first place, we wouldn't have to deal with, you know, my relationship with Barnabas being strained. If only John Mark hadn't asked to go again. Why did he have to ask? Why did Barnabas have to bring it up? Now I lost a friend. If I didn't always get sick, maybe if I was a little smarter, maybe if I had stayed home and not gone, it would have been easy for Paul, of all people, to pity himself. I mean, geez, read the New Testament. Paul goes through it, but instead he keeps on trusting and following Jesus, refusing to assume that ease and comfort are the norm. And this is what he writes to Timothy later on, the same man. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Right? We, we love that imagery of I'm a soldier of Christ, and victor but Paul uses it here in a really interesting way. You want to be a soldier for Christ? Share in his sufferings. So Paul, in the middle of what appears to be failure, actually succeeds. And this is such an important lesson for us as followers of Jesus to see. And I want you to hear this, right? Our participation in the mission of Jesus is secondary to our participation with Jesus himself. So Paul doesn't turn into a pragmatist and say, well, the mission is difficult, so therefore something is wrong. Instead, what we see from Paul's writing all over the New Testament is this same thing. Suffering is part of following Jesus. So when you experience suffering as you follow, you are sharing in, when you suffer for the right things, not for being foolish, right? But when you suffer because you're following Jesus, you are sharing in, you are participating in the life of Jesus. So trust him. Keep following Jesus wherever he leads you. He might stop you. He might make you go a different direction. But again, our participation in the mission of Jesus 
as important as that is, is secondary to our participation with Jesus himself. Walk with Jesus even in the midst of suffering and you will find yourself on mission with him. So finally now, this tiny missionary group arrives at Troas and it's here where everything changes for Paul. Paul receives a vision in verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, there are several ideas about exactly what Paul saw in this vision. Some say Paul saw a vision of Luke, who is calling for Paul to cross the channel over into Europe. Some that I read say that this is a, he has a vision of Alexander the Great, who, Alexander the Great, who is kind of uh, the archetype of Macedonia, sort of speaking for the entire race of people asking for Paul to come and help. Whatever the vision actually was, the meaning is crystal clear. Europe needs spiritual help. Right? The people of Europe need the gospel of Jesus. And the result is in verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. There's that change to we. Now Luke is with them. We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So that word concluding there in verse 10 is a really interesting Greek word. It kind of, it's, a, it's a, uh, a Greek adverb, and it means to kind of bring together or to knit together. I was thinking in English, we have a phrase like this, the pieces all fell into place. Right? We, that's what we kind of say. That's our, uh, uh, the way we talk about it. So as Luke and Paul uh, and, and company are kind of thinking about the vision, the context of how it had all gone before, everything kind of falls into place. Right? They conclude it. It kind of comes together. The puzzle pieces all fit. And they know that God is calling them to preach the gospel to these Macedonians or these Europeans. And so this is, again, one of the greatest turning points in the history of history, but also in the history of the church. And we particularly should thank God for it because this is when the church went from the east, the ancient Near East, into the West. And so as a result, the gospel has come to us who find ourselves here in the West. And so what should we walk away from with this text today? Well, there's a commentator named G. Campbell Morgan, and in his commentary on this text, he sums it up like this. And I think this is a good way to, to kind of end this section of the book of Acts. He says this, it is better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. It is better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. This is what made all the people in our story today victorious, right? They just kept walking with Jesus in spite of everything else. They, they realize it's better to be with Jesus in the middle of difficulty and pushback and suffering than it is to be with Jesus in the, without Jesus in the middle of comfort and plenty. It's better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. Let me pray. Jesus, we again thank you for this day. We thank you that we get to now continue our time together with you and with one another over a meal. Uh, we don't take it lightly that as we celebrate communion in the next few minutes and then we have a, a big meal together that, that the communion meal and even this big meal together that we're sharing are just a shadow of what's coming for us in your kingdom, the kingdom that Paul went and preached in the West. And so we're so thankful for that, for this 
momentous moment in the book of Acts as things turn now uh, and as we hear about Paul's ministry taking this turn. Lord, we thank you that the, for the fact that that's how the gospel got to where we find ourselves uh, over the years. And so we pray uh, again that you would sink these things deep into our hearts, that it's better to go to Troas with you than to be anywhere without you. And uh, that you would bless the rest of our time together this morning and that we would go out from here uh, and, and preach the gospel to, to whoever uh, we find ourselves in contact with. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.